name is Darren, and I'm the pastor, and uh, I hope you all are awake. Are you awake? Yeah. All right, well, over the last few weeks, we've been uh, working our way through the Old Testament book of Ruth, and this morning we're going to be in the final chapter of the book. If you remember, if you've been around, it's only a four-chapter book in the Old Testament, so we'll be in the last chapter of the book. Um, but we're only going to look at half of the book this morning because there's a lot that goes on in this last chapter. So if you're just jumping into the series this morning, I want to encourage you maybe this afternoon to read the rest of the book of Ruth so you have a little bit more background information. If you have a little bit more time, maybe watch or listen to uh, the sermons uh, that we've already done. But I do want to say this before I go in. As I just said a second ago, there's a lot going on in this passage so you've, you've got to stay with me. You've got to be awake. And don't check your dumb phone. It's okay. If people are texting you at 9.26 on a Sunday morning, you, listen, they should know better. A. And B, they should be here in here with you. All right? But here's what I'm going to say. Sometimes pastors and preachers uh, get a bad rap. And uh, sometimes people say things like, uh, well, I left this church or that church because I wasn't getting fed there. Or the pastor or preacher, you know, wasn't doing cartwheels and stuff on the stage and a lot of things that a lot of these preachers are doing now these days. I saw a guy a few weeks ago on a boat. He was on a boat with water. There was real water on the stage. I mean, that's cool and all, but at the end of the day, the Bible passage that the pastor is focusing on, the gospel, should be the focal point of the sermon. Thank you. Not the pastor. All right? So if you're walking out every Sunday morning, whether it's here or whether it's some other church, if you're watching some church online or you visit a church... And, and you go, wow, that pastor was the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you totally missed the passage, that's a problem. So if you're looking for some sort of bubblegum type sermon to hype you up for five minutes, uh, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, Jesus is the hero of the Bible, and he's the hero of your life. Period. Maybe an exclamation point instead. All right, let's get into this. I just had to say that. Y'all know, um, you know, we're transitioning in a few weeks, so probably over the next three or four weeks, I'm going to say some things, you know, because I can. So, <laughs> so <laughs> well, last week we left off with uh, Ruth, you remember this, having spent the night with Boaz. And if you recall, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, led Ruth into kind of a terrible situation. She gave Ruth some really bad advice. She told Ruth, essentially, uh, dress yourself up real nice, put on some makeup and perfume, and you know, dress yourself to the nines and sneak into Boaz's home and uh, fall asleep next to him. That's, that's, that's not good advice from your mother-in-law. Uh, it was awful advice, but Ruth 
maybe out of respect, maybe out of a cultural custom, we don't really know the whole story, but she listened to and did most of what Naomi suggested. Not all, but most. When Boaz slept that night, at some point, he rolls over, he's cold, grabs his blanket, and there Ruth is staring at him. A little awkward, a little uncomfortable. When, I was, uh, when, when Amelia, our youngest, or our oldest rather, was uh, a child, sometimes I would wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to this kid staring at me. <laughs> Just staring. What do you want? Nothing. Okay. We're done here. Go see your mother. <laughs> but I imagine that's kind of how it was with Boaz. You know, he wakes up and there's Ruth and he's like, you know, remember last week? He says, What's, who are you? Why are you here? And she said, uh, take me under your wing. For you are a family redeemer. In other words, take your robe, put it around me and redeem me. In other words, uh, make me your wife. You remember, as I said last week, Ruth essentially proposed to Boaz. You know, in our day and age, we give a ring. Back then, the man would take his cloak, his robe, and he would place it over his uh, bride-to-be, essentially as a symbol of, I'm going to protect you and care for you. You remember Boaz said, I am a family redeemer. I, I can marry you, I'm in line to marry you, but the reality is there's someone that is uh, closer to, to you than me. And he actually uh, has the right to marry you. Different custom, again, this is 3,000 years ago. And he said, but listen, if, if he's not interested in marrying you, I will. You remember? I will. And that's where we left off last week. They have this awkward situation at night, wake up the next day, Ruth goes back home to Naomi, and Boaz now is about to try to find this other family redeemer to make the situation right. So let's read the story, part of the story here. This is uh, Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through, I'm going to read just the first half of 13, because I don't want to give away too much of next week. Boaz went to the gate of the town... And I'll explain this in a minute. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about to Ruth came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down, and he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field, and I'll explain all this in a minute, that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. Now notice what this guy says. I want to redeem it. Then Boaz said, Well, in the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess 
the wife of the deceased man to perpetuate the man's name of, on his property. The Redeemer replied, he switches gears here, I can redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. And then at an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal, a little smelly, a little gross, and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah. They were kind of a big deal in ancient Israelite history. Now, I just want to say this again. We've kind of mentioned this every week, and I'll keep reading here in a second. But remember, Ruth is a Moabitess. She was an outsider. She was an outcast. And here the people of Israel, here the people of Bethlehem are now welcoming her into their community. May you be powerful in Ephrathah, and your name will be known in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. All right, here's where we're going this morning. This will make sense in a minute. Say no, no to living as a so-and-so. That'll make sense in a minute. I know right now you're going, has he been been drinking a little bit? No, it'll make sense in a minute. Well, let me pray here this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. God, thank you that you are living and active in our lives and you are doing something, God, that only you can do. We pray, Jesus, that you will come into our lives, that you will change us, that you you will redeem us. And God, may we, may we be obedient to you. May we, may we seek holiness. God, may we uh, take a risk for you, as we'll see here this morning. So Jesus, we pray that you will do what only you can do. And we lift all this up in your name. Amen. Now, my wife and my daughters uh, mock me, and you probably will after this as well. They they mock me profusely for this, but I am not ashamed to admit that uh, on my day off, uh, I watch uh, Christian romance comedies. It's pretty pathetic, I know. I grab a blanket. I snuggle with my dog, and I watch an hour and a half of really, really bad acting. Um, If you're unsure what a Christian rom-com is, I'm sure you know what Hallmark movies are. So think of a Hallmark movie with either a Christmas pageant 
or some sort of church service. That's kind of what a Christian rom-com is. I like those and whatever, it's embarrassing. But the story of Boaz and Ruth, kind of as if you've been tracking, would make a wonderful Hallmark movie and would make kind of a really good Christian rom-com. There's all kinds of twists and turns. There's, you know, this gentleman who's falling in love with this woman and the woman is falling in love with the man and, you know, she's kind of the, the runaway and she ends up on his property and yada, yada, yada. And now all of a sudden in chapter four, this other joker comes along and now we have to deal with him before we get to the end. That's every Hallmark movie in a sense. Well, over the last few weeks, we've seen kind of this budding romance. As I've just kind of said a second ago, but Ruth and Boaz met on Boaz's land. And he appreciated her and she appreciated him. And then, as I read, right, this random guy shows up, this other family redeemer. And we're watching this story play out and we want... Boaz and Ruth together. That's who we want together, not, not Ruth and this other guy. So as we come here to chapter 4, especially in these first 13 verses, and I'll kind of make this plain here in a second, we see the difference between Boaz and the other guy. We see Boaz, as we've seen throughout the story, of being this generous, selfless, and sacrificial man. In the first half of chapter 4, we see the other guy as inconsiderate, selfish, and egotistical. And I'll unpack this more in a second. But essentially what we have here is, is a contrast between godliness in Boaz and worldliness in the other guy. So let's dig in a little bit more. Let's look at chapter or verse 1 again here in a second. Soon... The family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. And Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over, that's the other guy, went over and sat down. Now the town gate where this happened uh, was the place where business meetings and, and, and legal meetings took place. So if you were buying property, if you were selling a goat, whatever you were doing and you needed witnesses or what have you, or if there was a dispute, you went to the town gate and there would be elders from the community and they would be the kind of judge and jury. I mean, we go to restaurants and boardrooms. Uh, in our day, they met essentially by a large fence. So there Boaz encountered the other redeemer. Now our translation, a translation that I, that I love, uh, the Christian Standard Bible version, uh, actually gets this wrong. No Bible version is perfect. I hope you know that. No, no translation, because it's a translation from Hebrew and Greek. Uh, we had some people here back in the day who were King James only people, and they said, you should only preach from the King James. And then I gave them a little bit of history and they said, no, you shouldn't. Okay, so, uh, so be careful with those kinds of people uh, that say you can only read a certain type of Bible translation. Um, now, with that being said, there are some Bible translations that are complete trash. So 
uh, and, and they get things way off. So if you have a question, talk to me or talk to the elders and, you know, we'll, we'll make it work out for you. But, so our, our um, translation misses an important part of this verse. Notice what Boaz said to the other redeemer in the ESV translation, the English Standard Translation. And this is also the case in the New Living Translation and the NIV Translation. Uh, they're similar as well. The Redeemer, so this is verse 1 again, the Redeemer of whom Boaz, I told you you have to pay attention this morning, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. So you, you can see the difference, I hope, between the CSB and the ESV, NLT, NIV. Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. In other words, what Boaz said to him is, come over here, friend, and have a seat. So the word translated as friend is from the Hebrew word, peloni almoni. It sounds Italian, it's not. <laughs> friend, peloni almoni, sounds friendly. Right? Because he said friend. But it wasn't. Peloni almoni means so-and-so or such-and-such. Peloni almoni back in ancient Hebrew was actually a disparaging and irreverent way to identify someone. It would be me like looking at Connor and going, what's up, pal? That's not very kind, is it? You doing all right, buddy? No. So apparently the writer of the book of Ruth, and even Boaz, did not think too highly of this guy. Hey, Poloni Almoni, come here. <laughs> now Boaz is forever remembered by his name, isn't he? This guy will forever be known as a nameless man. So from here on out, we're going to call him Mr. So-and-so because we don't know his name. We could know his name if he actually followed the will and purposes of God, but he didn't. Boaz did, so we know Boaz's name, but not Mr. So-and-so's name. Well, Mr. So-and-so sat down. Boaz called over the ten elders. He said, all right, you guys come over here. You need to serve as witnesses, so it's legally binding. What's about to take place? Now, as I said a little bit ago, the elders in that day served as kind of the judge and jury of situations and legal uh, matters and what have you. They listened to the opposing parties, present their cases. They heard witnesses, weighed the evidence, and then they made a decision, and you had to abide by that decision. Well, in the matter between Boaz and the other redeemer, they're basically serving as just witnesses because there's no real legal dispute going on. When the elders were seated, Boaz explained to Mr. So-and-so, listen, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of her field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. In other words, I thought I should tell you. I mean, in a very real sense, Boaz didn't need to tell uh, Mr. So-and-so, but again, he's a man of character and integrity, so he's keeping everything above water. If you want to redeem it, do it. 
But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it. And I am next after you. Now you might be a little bit confused if you've read this story before or if you've been listening to the sermons or watching the sermons over these last few weeks. You might be thinking, Naomi Naomi owned property? What? If she had a huge chunk of land in Bethlehem, then why was she broke? Why, why weren't they farming the land that she owned? Why is Ruth going out every single morning picking up scraps? What's going on here? I mean, the first time I read this passage many years ago, that's what I thought. I was like, well, she has land. Why are they penniless? Well, your confusion is understandable. But at the same time, this is where we have to understand the Bible. And we have, like... We need to understand the context. Context is key when we're reading. This is 3,000 years ago. Now, Naomi and Elimelech owned land in Bethlehem before they left for Moab. And yet, I mean, here we find another reason why Elimelech should not have left Bethlehem in the first place. He had land. God would eventually bless the land. That's what God does. Now, if Naomi owned the land, you might be thinking, and I'm I was leading you into this. Why couldn't she farm the land? Why couldn't she produce a crop on the land that she rightfully owned? Well, first, because of her age and stage of life. She was older, unmarried, and was childless. And I'll come back to that in a second. But just really quickly, back then, they actually, uh, they actually revered And they actually cared for and protected in a lot of ways the older folks in uh, that time. They didn't just shove them into homes like we do. But anyhow. And second, she couldn't farm the land because of her gender. We've already kind of talked about this. This was a very patriarchal culture. Family land back then was typically, and I'll explain why I say typically here in a second. Family land back then was typically... Uh, went from a father to a son. Well, I say typically because in Numbers 27, there was an Old Testament law that said as a father, if a father did not have a son, like in my case, if a father did not have a son, he could pass his land, his home, onto his daughter's. Well, a few chapters later, in Numbers 36, the law then stated, they then clarified the law, that if the daughter received the land and inheritance, she had to marry within her father's tribe. You know, second, third, fourth cousins, whatever it is. In the case of Naomi, the land was kept for the family. Nobody came in and squatted the land when they were gone. But she didn't have a daughter. Sons were dead, had no daughters. Now there was no law, again, patriarchal culture, there was no law, as crazy as it sounds, where if a husband died, the wife could automatically take over the land and then farm the land. Sounds a little crazy to us, I get it, in 2021, but you couldn't do that. With that said, the Israelites believed that it was vital for the land to stay within the family. Here's where Mr. So-and-so comes in. You tracking with me? You hear? I told you you got to pay attention. 
Okay, I guess nobody's here. All right, you hear it? You good? All right, we're good. All right, you're like, oh, the land, I don't know what, what's going on here? All right, Mr. So-and-so would have known, he would have known if I choose to redeem the land, then I will redeem Naomi. He would have known that. He would have known if I take the land, I get Naomi with the land. Now, you've got to understand what he's thinking here. And it plays out here in a moment. He would have cared for the land until she died. And then he's thinking, once the old bag dies, the land is mine. So he, he's not bothered initially. Like, when Boaz comes to him and says, listen... Naomi, our relative, has land. Do you want to redeem it? He's like, yeah, I'll redeem it. I get this huge property, and all I have to do is take care of this old bat for a few years, and then it's mine? He's like, I'm in. The situation appeared to be like a can't-miss real estate deal for Mr. So-and-so. So there's little doubt that he assumed, listen, I'll redeem it. I'll take care of her. And then when she dies, I'm going to be sitting pretty. My property will actually double. And then I'll just be sitting poolside, you know, drinking my Bud Light, living the dream. I don't think too highly of this guy either, just so you know. Well, you notice Boaz played Mr. So-and-so. He didn't mention Ruth right away because he is testing so-and-so's motives. Now, Naomi didn't have a son or a daughter, right? But she did have a daughter-in-law. And again, the land stays in the family. And Ruth, because she was married to Malon, Naomi's son who died... She had, Ruth had, a right to the land. So whether it was Mr. So-and-so or Boaz, by law, the family redeemer had to redeem Ruth and Naomi. It was a package deal. Now, Mr. So-and-so was either oblivious to the law, he either didn't know the law, or he had no idea who this woman Ruth was. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. So basically, Boaz is like, cool, 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 cool. You want to redeem the land. Awesome. Well, guess what? If you redeem the land, you get the land, you get Naomi, and you get Ruth. Now, Here's where we find out like the true uh, motive, the true character of Mr. So-and-so. Because right away he retorts and he says, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. So again, we want to say no, no to living as a so-and-so. See, his can't-miss real estate deal turned into a nightmare in a matter of moments. Has that ever happened to you where you're like, this is, this is awesome, this is great. And then in a minute or two later, you're like, this is terrible. 
This is awful. That's what happened here. So for Mr. So-and-so, basically what would happen is this. If he were to redeem the land, again, 3,000 years ago, different time, different customs. If he would have redeemed the land, he gets the land, he gets Naomi, and he gets Ruth. And guess what? He has to, he has to start trying to have children with Ruth. Because again, the land has to get passed on. So what he's thinking is, oh dear, I get the land, I get Naomi, I get Ruth, and then I get a baby. And then I get the terrible twos. And then I get PTA meetings. And then I have to spend a, a quarter to a half million dollars by the time they, they leave the house. And then I got to pay for the college education. And the wedding, and he's like, eh, I'm good. I'm good. So redeeming Ruth and having a child with her ultimately meant no long-term inheritance for Mr. So-and-so. Are you following me? See, he's thinking, I redeem the land, I redeem Naomi, I do this, I do that. I get all of this, and then it gets passed on to my family. No, I have to redeem it, and then it gets passed on to Ruth's son, or potentially daughter. Now, Mr. So-and-so is the complete opposite of Boaz. Throughout the story, Boaz, as I said, is this man of character. He's this man of integrity. He's this man of godliness. Mr. So-and-so is this kind of egotistical, self-seeking man who's only concerned with the bottom line. What will I get out of this? In Boaz, we don't see that at all, do we? The thought of Mr. So-and-so sacrificing for anyone, even a relative, was beyond his comprehension. I cannot give myself for anyone else. I'm about myself. So as as the closer Redeemer, he should have gladly cared for Naomi and Ruth. Instead, he used the law to his advantage. Instead, he weaseled out of it. So instead of following the purposes of God as found in the law, taking a risk beyond what he could see, Mr. So-and-so decided to protect himself. Do you see the lack of faith? Faith is stepping out into the unknown and trusting God. And because he didn't step out in faith and trust in the will and purposes of God, he literally goes down as a nameless character in the Bible. And he missed out on sharing in God's incredible plan of salvation. I wonder how many of us are missing out because we're unwilling to take a risk. I'm not talking about just taking a risk in your life because all of us have taken risks. But I'm talking about taking a risk for the Lord and actually stepping out in faith 
and going, I am going to follow the will and purposes of God. He keeps nagging me. He keeps tapping me on my shoulder. I keep brushing him off. I keep trying to run from him, and it's not working. Right now, I need to bend my knee, and I need to follow him and trust in him. See, what we often do is we count the cost, don't we? We have our lists of positives and negatives, and we do the whole thing, and we do the math, and if it doesn't add up, we don't walk in faith. And if you're not walking in faith, and not, if you're not walking in faith, you're, you're going to miss out on an incredible work of God in your life and, and in the lives of others around you. See, Boaz... What I love about Boaz in this short story, and Ruth as well, but Boaz wasn't concerned about himself. There's no concern about himself in this whole story. I hope you've noticed that. He's constantly giving and giving and giving. His first concern was the Lord. Am I following the Lord? Am I walking with the Lord? And his second concern was Ruth. Am I caring for this lady? Am I caring for this young woman? Now, I hope if you've been around the church for a while and, and if you've grown up with some idea of Christianity, I hope as I'm saying that his first concern was the Lord and his second concern was Ruth, I hope that sounds biblical to you. Because it is. When the religious leaders questioned Jesus in Matthew 22, one of them asked Jesus, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? In other words, if there's really one or two laws that we should follow, which ones are they? And Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I think Boaz did that. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think Boaz did that as well. I mean, maybe we should try and really seek to live the same way. You know, five and a half years here, I've said this over and over and over again, and I hope for all of you it has sunk in. It is not about you. It is not about you. If you attempt to live your life with you as the primary person in the story, you are going to die a miserable death. Jesus is the focal point of your life. And he's the focal point of all of creation. And if you miss that, oh Lord, have mercy on you. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It is all about him. Well, Mr. So-and-so, because he's dumb, surrenders his right to redeem the land. And then it says, I'm not going to read this because I want to keep us moving here, but, it, but essentially, listen, back in the day, uh, what they would do is if there was a, a transaction taking place, uh, one of the people would take off their sandal and hand it to the other guy. It's just weird to me. But even at this point in Israel history, it, was, uh, it didn't happen anymore. You could even see at an earlier period in Israel. So it, even at this point, you know, it, at the time of the writing, it wasn't happening anymore. 
Mr. So-and-so forfeits his right to redeem the land, to redeem Naomi and Ruth, and he just fades. He just fades to the background. He just fades away. And I'll be so bold as to say this, but without Jesus, that's what will happen to all of us. We'll just fade to the background. And when Jesus returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth and redeems all of those who believe in Him, your name will go on for eternity. Without Jesus, you fade to the back like so-and-so. So I hope all of us will say no-no to living as a so-and-so. Because there's no uh, continuing story for that. Well, after grabbing the sandal, Boaz called to the ten elders and those gathered. He said, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife. The elders, I wish I had more time to get into all this, but uh, there's so much in this, these next few verses. But the elders and the people gathered around pronounced, you, you may have seen this, a blessing on Boaz and then a blessing on Ruth as well. Essentially, now again, context. This is in the time of the judges. The time of the judges was one of the worst periods in Israelite history. And all of the elders gathered around in Bethlehem and all the people of the town, and they're noticing something is going on. God is moving in this relationship. God is up to something between Boaz and Ruth. And here these are, these godless people, these people that are seeking idols and all this other nonsense, living lives uh, the way they want to live them, not the way that God wanted to live them. And here they are. God's up to something. And they pronounce a blessing on Boaz and Ruth. Boaz marries Ruth, and as we'll see next week, they had a son. And the genealogy of their son leads us to the once and for all Redeemer, Jesus. The Redeemer not of land, not of a marriage, but a Redeemer of all of life. Meanwhile, Mr. So-and-so not only missed out on marrying Ruth, an amazing and godly woman, but he misses out on having an eternal and everlasting peace and place in salvation history. He missed out. So now we're talking about this guy 3,000 years later and making fun of him in some ways. And maybe rightfully so. But I wonder how many times, again, that we miss out. Like Mr. So-and-so, we look at a situation. And if it's advantageous for us, we move forward. But if there's any sort of doubt... Even though God is in it, if there is any risk, any threat to our comfort, oh, we love comfort as Americans, don't we? If there is any risk, any threat to our comfort, our interests, or our agenda, we say, God, I can't do it. I can't, I can't step out in faith. Because what I see is what I see. <laughs> And I don't trust you enough, God, to take another step. So I wonder how many times God has placed a situation in our lives, but instead of first seeking the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, 
instead of trusting in Him and walking in His ways, we sought or we seek the kingdom of self. See, we want, like Mr. So-and-so, I think, we want all the stuff. But we don't want to be obedient and we don't want to follow God to receive the stuff. We just want the stuff on our terms. Listen, I don't want to, and I hope you don't either, I don't want to worship a God who gives me whatever I want. That's not much of a God. That's an idol. That's a genie in the bottle. That's a figment of your imagination. And sadly, that's what a lot, going back to what I said earlier, that's what a lot of preachers are giving you in 2021. Name it, claim it, God will bless it. No, it doesn't work that way. See, Boaz gained a tremendous amount in in redeeming Ruth. He really did. He got a, a godly woman. He receives a son, as we'll see. He enlarges his property, which will eventually go to his son. But in so doing, like in doing all of this, there was a tremendous amount of loss to Boaz as well. He had to step out in faith. He had to take a risk to redeem the land, to redeem Naomi and Ruth. Now contrast him with Mr. So-and-so who played it safe and trusted only in what he could see. Contrast Boaz with with what Mr. So-and-so did. The bottom line. Now he goes off in history as being this anonymous person. And what I want to call you to in these last few minutes is take a risk for Jesus. Not just at your job, not just at your school. Take a risk for Jesus. If he's calling you and if he's leading you, go. Follow him. I get it, man. You're afraid. I get it. There have been so many things over the last several years even for Jenny and I, over 20 years of marriage, we've been really afraid. And we've done the math, literally have done the math. And it, and it didn't add up. I've said this before, but when I went to graduate school, when I went to seminary, she supported us on less than $20,000 a year, a family of three. You do the math... Uh, that's a lot of negatives right there. <laughs> how are we going to keep the lights on? How are we going to... We live in Pittsburgh. You know how cold and dark and miserable it is in Pittsburgh in the winter? Exactly. Did the, literally did the math. Tuition. Baby clothes. It's not adding up, God. So how then do you follow him? How do you follow Jesus when you can't see what's next? How do you risk for Jesus? By believing and having faith in the gospel. 
by believing that you're not alone, by trusting that God is with you. He's been with you and he will always be with you. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or I'll even put in there $20,000 a year? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. See, every risk you take, every sacrifice, every loss that you look or that you think you're going to have in this world, Jesus takes, that's what this passage says, Jesus takes and redeems it and makes you more than a conqueror. It doesn't say uh, not just a conqueror, it says you will be more than a conqueror. But you can only be more than a conqueror if you are following Jesus, if you are stepping out and you're not worried about famine, persecution, nakedness, loss of a few dollars. See, the power of God is living and breathing in you. So this morning, this afternoon, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two weeks from now, a month from now, risk it all for the glory and sake of Jesus Christ because He is with you. You feel a distance sometimes, some days from Him. Maybe it's on you and not on Him. Maybe you're living as a so-and-so and you need to say, no, no, no. I'm going to live for Jesus today and I'm going to trust in Him and I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. Let me pray for us. God, thank You.